Hey everyone, and welcome to the Brian Haggerty Show, my podcast. I am your host, Brian Haggerty. Hope everybody is doing well this week. Today is Friday, July 21st. At least that's the day I'm recording it. I really should stop making, uh, or at least saying the dates on these podcasts, because sometimes they don't get uh, uploaded for a day or so. But either way, at least you know where I was when the time came to record this. So, okay, if you missed last week's podcast, make sure you go check it out. I talk all about social media, defining your own brand, establishing your reputation. Remember, folks, our social media is an extension of who we are. It's an extension of what we are. It is our way of showing the world, both present and in the future, who we were, what we were all about, what we liked, what we loved, what we hated, what we did, where we traveled, what we liked to eat. Now, the amount of information you share and let out there is up to you. You are free to do whatever you wish. That is the beautiful thing about living in this country. We have freedom of speech and freedom of expression. But remember, just because you have that freedom of expression and freedom of speech doesn't mean that you have to release everything. Always think before you share and think about whether or not this is something that could come back and hurt hurt you or haunt you, be used against you, especially in your career, or maybe one day something that you look back at and say, you know, I really wish I didn't post that, because once it's out there, it's out there for the world to see forever. So if you missed it, check it out. That was my last podcast. Very important, especially for today's younger generation to understand the importance of protecting and establishing your personal brand, your image, and you're the only person who has complete control over it. Now, uh, before I get into today's today's topic, which is going to be a little bit of a diversion, but those of you who do know me know that I love I love science. I love mysteries. As a matter of fact, I'm all about the unexplained. I um, I think that to to me, the unexplained is fascinating. Ninety percent of it probably can be explained. I'm referring to the instances where people think they see UFOs or they think they see ghosts or whatever the case may be. Uh, I do think most of it can be explained in one degree or another. The problem is that it's uh, all subjective and it's only based upon the observer or the person or the person's having the experience. So when you go to relate it, which I'll get into this in a little bit, when you go to tell the story to someone else who wasn't there to see it or experience it, you know, in their mind, they're always going to have that little bit of doubt because we all want to see things ourselves. We want to behold things with our own eyes and uh, for some reason, you know, eh, I got to see it to believe it. So <laughs> that might be the case. So we're going to get into a little bit of that today. And I've got a fascinating story. And actually, this the story I'm going to tell you today is the reason why I decided to make today's topic about the unexplained. And I'm going to tie it in with the mind and uh, and my teachings because it is, it is really all about uh, the mind. I mean, everything we experience, we experience through our mind. You know, none of us really see or hear anything. We're just basically our... Remember, our brains exist in the darkness of our skull. The brain doesn't see anything, and the, and the brain doesn't hear anything, nor can the brain feel anything or sense anything. Everything we, that we receive through our senses comes through like an electrical signal. So we're just interpreting electrical signals. That's it. So that's why a lot of what we see and what we think we see is not necessarily what it was. So 
Make sure, folks, by the way, follow me on social media. If you are on Facebook, please, you could either click like on my page, which is Brian Haggerty, or you could send me a friend request to Brian C. Haggerty. The letter C is my middle initial. I'm also on Instagram. Follow me there for great pictures. <laughs> what else could you get on Instagram, right? I'm on Instagram as Brian Haggerty Speaks. I'm on Twitter. My handle there is at BH Speaks. And what else do I have? Uh, of course, SoundCloud. Yes, I'm on SoundCloud where we park. Uh, not only that, I'm on, well, I'm on iTunes, Apple iTunes, and I'm on SoundCloud. So depending upon from whence you are listening to this podcast, follow me there. And please make sure you click the heart icon on SoundCloud if you like this and uh, share it. And please comment and please let me know what you think and let me know what else you'd like to hear about. All right. <laughs> so I got all that out of the way. And by the way, yes, you could also reach out to me through social media if you have questions. I like to, I love to get input and uh, suggestions of future topics from guests, uh, not from, from listeners, and um, sometimes we have guests. I haven't done that on this series of podcasts yet, but in the past I used to do internet radio, and I was always having some fascinating guests. So let's see what we've got here today. All right, so... So far, this podcast has been about, you know, the things that uh, people, business people, professionals and things of that sort need to know and understand in order to be successful, develop confidence, charisma, good relationships. So you know, we've covered all the uh, topics here so far, like emotional intelligence, which is the ability of you to take... Uh, Really sit back and take notice of your thoughts, find out what words and emotions trigger you, and then to discover why they trigger you. And then you can take conscious action against having a negative effect of any word or trigger by choosing to pivot to a new thought and having your conscious mind understand that the reason you are responding a certain way is due to a specific trigger that is due to a specific thing maybe that happened to you when you were five years old. It could be anything. But either way, when you learn how to recognize how your body responds to your emotions. You've got to get at the root of these emotions and figure out what is it? What is it about these emotions? Where do they come from? Why do I get triggered a certain way? Because if you think about it, uh, I, I always like to use this old um, um, an example that was given to me. Imagine two people standing at the doorway of an open airplane flying 15,000 feet, uh, 15, feet in the air. <laughs> 15 feet, big difference. 15,000 feet in the air, both of whom are going to jump out and go free-falling. And, of course, they've got their backpack, you know, with their parachute attached. Now, the one person leaning out is looking forward to it and is feeling no fear at all and is looking forward to the sense of freedom. The other person is literally grabbing the door, not wanting to go, and feeling terrified and having almost like an anxiety-filled breakdown. Now, the scene outside is the same. You're 15,000 feet up in the air. What's the difference? The difference is in how each person responded to what they were seeing and experiencing. The fact of the matter is that you and I will both experience things differently. We will see things differently. We will respond to things differently. It's all because of the way in th that our minds and our belief systems have been developed throughout our lives that will impact and affect and influence the way we see and the way we, sp we respond to things. So everybody's different including those two people and that poor soul. And by the way, that person clinging for dear life, having an anxiety attack, that's me. <laughs> I am terrified of heights. Really, I am. I could, in fact, it's fascinating. Um, 
one thing most people don't know is that the mind doesn't know the difference between what it sees and what it imagines because the mind, you know, has no judgment. It's it's we who have to do the thinking, the conscious uh, executive portion of our frontal lobes. That's where we consciously create and think. And if I were to so much as just visualize myself on that plane looking out that door or just visualize myself on a ledge overlooking a, a you know, a steep downward trajectory, I will get vertigo. I will get dizzy. I know people tell me all the time, well, you know, you're supposed to face your fears and overcome that. I'm like, yeah, I know, I know. And I've overcome most of my fears. Uh, but, you know, being up in the air is not something we have to do in life. <laughs> it's a, And I think it's natural because it's a natural instinct to know that when you're too high, it's like dogs, dogs and animals. They, you know, a dog will look over something. If it's too high, he knows that and he's afraid. He steps back. It is a natural instinct. But, uh, <laughs> so... I will not be jumping out of planes anytime soon. I'm not a thrill guy. I don't need that. I like to be on the ground. So we've covered all these topics, you know, understanding belief systems, how our mind works, and then getting into social media. And also, as you know, I teach about communication skills, people skills, learning to become the person that you like in others. Becoming the person that makes everybody around you feel good to be around you, as opposed to someone who makes everybody feel lousy. The person, you know, the people who are always miserable. You know those people? No matter where you see them, they're miserable. They're always mad about something. And you say, what is, what is it with these people? Oh, just to be around them. Oh my God, what a drag to be around somebody like that. And it's a shame because those people, it's they're good people deep down. The problem is that their belief systems have wired themselves to such a degree after years and years and years of looking at things negatively for some reason. Whatever happened to them or whatever instances happened to them, I'm sure it was more than one, it caused a person's belief system to wire itself to always and only see the negative side of life. It's like the optimist and the pessimist. Person who sees the glass half full versus the person who sees the glass half empty. It's perspective. It's belief systems, folks. And the sooner you can get into understanding your belief systems so that you can A, take control over them, and B, change them and edit them, just like a computer program. See, that's the thing about our minds. If we begin to look at our brains and our minds as, uh, you know, our subconscious mind, our mind, you know, our conscious mind makes conscious choices. It chooses, it directs, it puts attention and energy on wherever it is directed. The subconscious mind is anything that we've done so often that the neurons in our brain will wire themselves into what's called like a neural net. And those are behavior patterns. That's where our mind will default to. It just makes it easy because that's what governs the entire governance of our entire body. You know, your heart, your digestive system, your circulatory system, your, your everything system, everything about you, all your cells, cellular division and reproduction. Uh, everything is being governed by your subconscious mind because that's not something we can possibly think about and control all of those things going on at once. So thank goodness that uh, evolution has put that into our uh, and established that in our subconscious mind. But once you understand this, this is why mindfulness and meditation, all of these things are being talked about now in corporations across America. They are realizing that it is important that the employees have fulfilled personal lives so that that will then give them a fulfilled life and uh, give them a, you know, the ability to do their jobs, basically. You know, years ago, you were supposed to leave your problems at home and go to work and uh, not let your personal life interfere. 
Well, it's easier to say that, far more difficult to actually do it. But corporations are learning, hey, we have to help people to be able to overcome all of these uh, negative mindsets. Because we're understanding how the mind works and how it operates. It's, it's very scientific and quite simple. It's just that it's not that easy to, uh, to, to actually uh, do it. Uh, because of the fact that if you've been thinking one way your whole life, it's tough to change an old thinking pattern because it will keep knocking at your door. But you can do it. You just have to be committed, and you have to put the time and the conscious energy into it. And it's a daily process. And depending upon how much energy and time you put into it, it could take you anywhere from a couple of weeks to maybe a couple of years, depending upon how deeply ingrained the belief system is within you. And sometimes, you know, we don't like to part with our old beliefs. We don't like to give them up. Oh, we may say consciously, yeah, I want to get rid of that. That's not doing me any good. The problem is, though, subconsciously, we have a relationship with those emotions. You see? That's why unhappiness and negativity, they have a long-term mental and emotional relationship with those emotions, which make it difficult for them to consciously let go of them or to subconsciously let go of them. But anyway, I always like to do a recap like that in the beginning of the podcast. I always want to keep one thing in mind, folks, that people need to hear things three times before they really remember it. That's why in all great speeches, they'll have a tagline like, I have a dream, and Martin Luther King said that time and time again, and to the point where that's all you'll remember about his speech. It was a 22-minute speech, and that's all people seem to remember. I remember a little bit more because I studied it. But um, that's really the uh, long and the short of it, and that I like to repeat things more often so that I know that if you are continuously listening to this you will eventually understand what I am saying. It will get through to you. You'll have that aha moment, and you can begin to rewrite your mind and your belief systems and set yourself free. All right, so the unexplained. What is that all about? Well, uh, I also have a YouTube page, and uh, you could see a couple of my unexplained videos on there where I recount some unexplained experiences that I have had not only by myself but also with others. I prefer the ones with others because that's the one where you could look around and ask the people with whom you had the experience whether or not they saw or experienced the same thing as you, or as me in that case, um, which helps in the, the fact-finding and the gathering of information as to what in God's name we actually just experienced. Well, I'm a believer in the unexplained because, after all, all that means is that the unexplained is that for which we have yet to uh, assign a proper scientific explanation. Now, I think people have the wrong idea about science and scientists. We need science, and science has been under attack. For instance, we've got this big flat earth thing going around YouTube and social media, and the, for the life of me, I can't understand it. I don't know who started it, and I don't know who's fanning the flame, but what's scaring me is how many people seemingly are signing on to this. They're believing it. Now, folks, if, if you believe that the Earth is flat, I'm not going to waste my time debating you. I'm sorry. This is not the show for you, and I'm not the person for you. You're more than welcome to believe whatever you want. But uh, we're not going to discuss uh, what I consider to be absurd notions. I love to discuss the unexplained, but that's not the unexplained. That's the absurd. See, scientists are always looking for proof of anything. 
I, I think this idea is that scientists are atheists and therefore anything that quote-unquote has to do with a perceived spiritual world or, or a paranormal world or a non-physical world, as far as people, most people think that scientists um, refuse to believe any of that. And that's that might be the case with some. But the, the reality is that there's these things are all subjective. We're dealing with science. We need facts. We need data. We need to be able to replicate something. Because without that, we can't explain it. So a scientist, uh, you know, when it comes to life after death, everyone I know who's in science would love there to be evidence of life after death. Literally, literal evidence, hard evidence that can be replicated and proven. In other words, if somebody creates a device that could literally communicate with someone who has died, and that through this device and through these experiments, uh, by using friends or family members of the deceased, uh, information can be passed back and forth. Questions can be answered that only, only the deceased would know, and that can be verified by family members and friends. And then you'd be able to do this again and again and again with the same device uh, with most people, uh, with the deceased and their friends and family. But we don't have anything like that. Oh, I know they claim there are spirit boxes that seem to pick up words and things, but there's nothing coherent. And I've looked at all this stuff, and I don't see any evidence that we're dealing with let's say, the spirit or the soul of someone who was once alive but who is now dead. Do I want to believe there is life after death? Who doesn't? Of course we do. Do I want to believe in ghosts and UFOs and aliens? Of course, that's fun. That's fun. That shows us that there's something more and something greater to life, which I think there is, but we haven't been able to really prove it. And most of what we see out there can be explained one way or another. And I'm, I'm a debunker, too. I, I like to latch on to things and look at all the explanations. If you go to my YouTube page, which is also Brian Haggerty Speaks, that's the title, you can find some of those stories on there. There's the Ouija board experience, which changed my life because I was not the one touching the board. Uh, this goes back to, like, the 80s. I was 18. The two kids doing the board was 16, two neighborhood kids from my shore town, and that changed my life. And there's a few other stories on there, too, that are unexplained. And I have many, many, many more. I don't share all of them because uh, they're, they're unique to me. They are the things that have opened up my mind and eyes to the fact that there's something greater going on. And let me explain what I mean. We have the Big Bang, okay? Now, we know that the entire universe at one point can be traced back to one very, very, very small point of the highest density and the highest mass you can imagine. Can you imagine taking the whole universe and putting it onto something the size of the head of a pin? Isn't that amazingly fascinating? So, th th this is where we all begin, folks. This is how we could uh, literally trace back the evolution of the universe, the physical universe, that if we weren't here, we would, we're conscious of it, so we can see it, we can attest to it. But when it comes to the Big Bang, scientists will tell you, and every scientist will tell you, if you ask them and say, well, what came before the Big Bang? They will tell you, we haven't the foggiest idea. We have no idea. What that means is, is that any theory could be a viable theory uh, because there's just no way of testing it. We haven't, you know, how do you get out of your own universe? How do you go back before that and actually have a way of witnessing it? We just don't do it. We can't do it. We could replicate. You know, we have the Large Hadron Collider now. Oh my God, we could, 
we're, we're colliding particles and discovering so many new particles and or proving particles that we long thought were in existence, quarks and uh, different things, uh, you know, the protons, neutrinos, and all these uh, particles that pop in and out of existence. We don't even know where they go when they supposedly pop out of existence. And we also know that in quantum mechanics, uh, the subatomic world, but those are the, you know, the world beneath the atomic world. Everything is made up of atoms. But uh, then atoms, of course, are composed of particles and mostly empty space. And it's when we get into that world that we see the fascinating behaviors that boggle the mind and that go beyond anything we could really explain because we can't explain it yet. But I know we will. We eventually will. Now, will it be in our lifetime? I don't know. I certainly hope it is, though, because I really want to know what these things are about. So if you've ever had an unexplained experience... You know, where you saw something or you experienced something and you say, now I know what I just saw. I know what I just experienced. But for the life of me, I cannot explain it. Well, I'm going to tell you a story that was given to me just the other day by this young man in Germany named Daniel. I've known Daniel for quite some time. He uh, was one of my first fans on my YouNow broadcast. And we keep in touch, as I do with most of my regular fans. You know, I'm very easily accessible. And uh, Daniel's a young man in his early 20s, um, and he reached out to me because he knows, of course, I love the unexplained, and he gave me this story. Now, he's a very sober young man. I mean, he's a smart, intelligent, rational, level-headed, scientifically-minded young man. Um, so that is going in his favor. And he tells me this story. He writes to me and says that, an uncle of his father's had passed away. This was an uncle whom he had never met. So he goes with his mother and father to the home. Now, this is Germany. So in Germany, they do things a little differently. Here in the United States, we have funeral homes where they lay the deceased out and people come and pay their respects. Uh, they, may, they may do that in Germany. I'm sure they do. But in some of the old towns or the old traditions, they do it like we did it here years ago in the house. So he had never met the uncle, and he goes to the house with his mother and father. And I'm sure the house is filled with relatives and friends and family. And the deceased is, I believe, being laid out in the living room. And I, from what I can gather, Daniel did not walk up to the deceased. If anything, he toured the house, and he went upstairs. And he proceeded to go into the bedroom of what was his uncle, his uncle whom he had never met. All of a sudden, uh, a man walks in in a blue suit. And he did not recognize the man. And the man says to him, Oh, young man, can you help me? My hat blew off and it uh, flew under the stairs. Can you retrieve it for me? So Daniel, of course, said he would. And he did. And he went out and he got it and he brought the hat back. And um, this gentleman thanked him and proceeded to give him a dollar bill and then walked out of the room. Well, no sooner does he walk out, the guy's gone. And Daniel goes downstairs, and he doesn't see the man among the people who were there. And he tells the father, his father, the story. And the father, you know, finding it very odd and hearing the description of the man, well, apparently then he brings Daniel over to the uncle's body that's being uh, laid out. And lo and behold, that's the man who gave Daniel the dollar bill. So while the deceased was laying out, was being laid out, rather, in the living room in a blue suit. Daniel sees this same man alive in a blue suit. He talks with him. He interacts with him. The man was as physical and as real as real could be. And to prove it, he had a real hat, which Daniel retrieved. And he gave Daniel a real dollar bill.
Wow. Now, if somebody I did not know passed this story on to me, you know, you just don't know because you don't know the nature or the source of the story. But I know Daniel. And all I could say is, wow. So, of course, that changed his life. And he's heard these stories. We've discussed them on my show. Um, it's one of those things where you just say, wow. By the way, he is not the first person that I've known who has had that type of encounter with a deceased individual. Another story reiterated to me, and this was this story goes back, of course. The story was reiterated to me about 10 years ago. The woman who told me the story has since passed away. When she was telling me the story, she was probably about 87 years old. Now, this is a woman who raised, I believe, 11 children. And uh, her husband died young, so she was left with 11 children. And luckily, most of the older children took on the role of helping to raise the other younger children and all helped out with the household. Now, this woman's had a son, a son who was probably in his mid-20s, I think, maybe early 20s. I'm not sure. This son fell through the ice. The current took him and he drowned. Can you think of a worse way to die? And can you think of a more horrific thing for a mother to deal with? It's one thing for a mother to deal with the death of a child. It's another, I think, this the idea of something being swept away helplessly under the ice. I, I, I Oh, it gives you the goosebumps. What a horrible, horrible way. So all of a sudden, and she reiterated the story to me. She said one day she's in her home and her son comes into her bedroom. Physical as you or I. Solid as you or I. Dressed in the same clothes he was wearing when he had drowned baseball cap and all and you would think I think if that happened to me I'd probably faint but you know a mother seeing her son I'm sure has totally different uh, effects so he looked at his mother and he says I don't want you to worry about me I am fine I want you to go on with your life and I don't want you to cry over me anymore I am perfectly fine and so she looked at him and this is a woman who by the way was a very stoic woman very even keeled I never saw this woman display irrational uh, emotions or someone who goes up or down or very even keeled mother, very dignified. And so she looked at the son and said, well, uh, okay, you know, I, I think once you see your son in the flesh who's deceased telling you that he's fine and don't, don't worry about me, I would imagine she stopped worrying. Now, you would think perhaps she is having this as a hallucination, that the grief of a mother is something that was so strong that she created this in her mind to make her mind feel better. You would think that, right? Of course you would, especially if, as I say, when you are not the one having the experience, you have to go through all logical explanations. You would think that, except the younger sister, who was in bed with her door open after this young son turned to leave his mother he walked out of the room and down the hallway he passes the doorway to the younger sister's room her eyes are open she sees him walk by the door she screams his name out and jumps out of bed and of course he was gone but i always like when there are two people having an experience because it's more likely to say well i guess what we experienced was was if you want to use the word real, but two people agreeing upon information is far better than one. So 
The reason I decided to have this as a conversation today is because, number one, I love exploring the unexplained. I do think that there's far more going on than we know. Uh, I'm a proponent of the possibility that we are living in some type of highly advanced simulation. Simulation theory, by the way, is a theory that was put out there, put forth by uh, the philosopher Nick Bostrom, uh, who's from Oxford University, and there are many quantum physicists who will say, well, that would make sense. Simulation theory, meaning that we are a virtual construct, a very, very highly advanced virtual construct, would make sense. But that means that something is out there outside of this simulation. And you could even buy into the fact that perhaps each and every one of us choose to come into the simulation as the people we are. We choose the families. It's just like today with a video game. What you look like, your avatar, the family you came from. You're rich, are you poor, are you this, are you that? Are you going to be rich, are you going to be poor? That perhaps we choose these roles, we come into the world, and then when the physical body dies, whatever we are, whether it was you know, some other entity that played the role of who we are in this world, comes out and we either start over again or we sit and discuss and take back the lessons we have learned. Who knows? I don't know, but I do know that it's fun to think about it. But every time these unexplained things happen, it's almost as if something, uh, let's say you're in a computer simulated game and uh, words all of a sudden appear on the screen in front of you if you're in a virtual reality and the words come up and say, hey, you're in a virtual reality. The only thing that you, the only way you would know that is if somebody from outside of the reality was trying to let you know you're in the reality. So they send you this message, or all of a sudden they they appear in front of you. Because in a virtual reality, you can construct anything. So all of a sudden, somebody appears in front of you saying to you, hey, you're in a virtual reality. You know, I'm not even real. I just came in to tell you this. So that could be the explanation for life, which is why we don't know and cannot explain what came before the Big Bang. Because the Big Bang could have been the launch of the simulation. And the simulation was written in such a way to play itself out. And by the way, it's very possible that the simulation, the 15 billion years of the universe's evolution before we got here, is all a simulation, meaning it didn't really take 15 billion years. But in the simulation, when we go back and look at the data, it is as if it did take 15 billion years because we could easily write that data into the program or whoever the creators are. So... Believe it or not, many physicists and scientists say that uh, the evidence is pointing to some type of creator or creation or creation mechanism. Something came first. Something had the idea to do all of this, and then it did it. Does that mean it's the God we read about in the Bible, the old man with the beard? Not necessarily. Does that mean it's even an entity? Not necessarily. Does it mean it's another machine? Well, it could be a machine that was made by a machine that was made by a machine. We just don't no, there's a door right now between ourselves and pre-eternity, and we can't unlock it. We cannot open it, because right now it's sealed shut. That even if we opened it, what would we see? Would we even understood what we saw? Remember, we could only understand that which we are capable of seeing or understanding. If it's a whole new thing to the human psyche, well, we, not, we may not be able to see it because we can frankly not conceive of it. So I bring this all up, folks, because always be searching for truth. Never be afraid to believe in things outside of the box. Because if, in fact, we are all, somehow or another, in this virtual reality together, what we're learning is, is that through, the, through our individual minds, we can impact, we can change, we can redirect, and we can literally create any experience we want when we take hold of and control our thoughts, which lead to different emotions, which lead to different 
perceived realities. Different created realities. Different interpreted realities. So don't be afraid to dream and don't be afraid to keep questioning things. And by the way, always question. Always be skeptical. Not everything is unexplained. Most things do have explanations, scientifically speaking, of course. But there are those things which do not. And it is those things, especially those which I have personally encountered, that I believe are kind of like, I think they're put there as a sign to show us that there is something more going on. Nothing else. Like, I don't believe that dead people who once lived come back and we see them, because where are they? I, I, I think we're all constructed, including who we are, our personality and such. Because so much of it does come from our background, our brain, you know, the family to which we're born, our culture, our religion. That's all who we are. And once you leave this world, you're not going to need that stuff, nor are you going to take it with you. So I think, if anything, we choose ourselves as avatars and that we may have done this many times and that when we leave this planet, leave this life, and go in back to whatever it is, that we're, we get in on it at that point. That we're almost like an oversoul, that there's a bigger personality of who we are. And you look back and say, wow, I've done this 15 times, I've done this 100 times, whatever it is. Old souls, reincarnations, I don't know. No way of proving, but great to think about, great to discuss, and fascinating to consider. So that's it. Those are my stories today. I hope you enjoyed them. And by the way, please comment and like if you like this video. Share it if you found it interesting. And let me know what you think. And have you had any unexplained experiences? If you have, please share them. I would love to hear them. And that wraps up things today, folks. So until the next time, this is Brian Haggerty with The Brian Haggerty Show. I hope you enjoyed it. Have a great day. And remember, take hold of your mind and your thoughts. And you will take hold of your life. Take care, folks. Have a great day and namaste.